I want to ask you to stand again as we read Scripture this morning. Let me remind you as you're standing that invite one family to our Friday, Saturday, and then of course Easter Sunday. One family, pray about that and minister to them. You never know. It may be a life-changing experience for them. If you look on the screen, if you want to take your Bibles, if you have that in hand, you can. But on the screen here... It reads like this, Matthew 26, beginning in verse 36. Then, came Jesus, then, came, uh, then Jesus came with them to a place called Gethsemane. He said to his disciples, sit here while I go and pray over there. And he took with him Peter, the two sons of Zebedee, and he began to be sorrowful and deeply distressed. Notice that. This is speaking of Jesus. He began to be sorrowful and deeply distressed. Then he said to them, My soul is exceedingly sorrowful, even to death. Stay here and watch with me. He went a little farther and he fell on his face. And he prayed, saying, Oh, my father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. Then he came to his disciples, and he found them sleeping, and he said to Peter, What? Could you not watch with me one hour? Watch and pray, lest you enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Again, a second time, he went away, and he prayed, saying, Oh, my father, if this cup cannot pass away from me unless I drink it, your will be done. And he came and he found them asleep again, for their eyes were heavy. One other, another gospel said that it was heavy for sorrow, from sorrow. Verse 44, so he left them and went away again, and he prayed the third time, saying the same words. Then he came to his disciples, and he said to them, are you still sleeping and resting Behold, the hour is at hand. The Son of Man is being betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. Father, bless the reading of your word today. Give us your presence. Give us your anointing as we look in your holy word today. And in particularly, Father into this holy moment when your son was in this place praying. We ask your blessing on the remainder of this service, and we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. I find we find our title today in verse 36, a place called Gethsemane. A place called Gethsemane. I want us to go back. I want us to go back about 2,000 years. And I want us to go to those final days. And really those final hours of the earthly life of our Lord Jesus Christ. It's in those moments that all the prophetic Old Testament scriptures. All the streams of scriptures are flowing down. And being fulfilled in Christ as it has to do with our redemption. And here we are. I want to particularly look at this moment 
Well, not even all the disciples, but the three ones he chose, that some have called it his inner circle. We're going to look at Peter, we're going to look at James and John, and of course Jesus. And they're in this place. Really, it was a garden. It was called the Garden of Gethsemane. And we want to go and we want to see what's happening there. We want to see with our mind's eye. We want to hear with our ears the very words that Jesus is praying. And we're going to learn some things that happened in this Garden of Gethsemane. I have been in this garden twice. Some of you, if you've been in the garden, let me see your hand. Here, here. If you've been in the Garden of Gethsemane back here, we were there. I've been there twice. And in that garden, there are olive trees that they date over 2,000 years. So that means that those trees that we saw were the trees that were there, at least some of them, were there when our Savior knelt down and he prayed there. Gethsemane means olive press. Gethsemane really was a place where they, they grew olive trees on what is called the Mount of Olives. And then they would take those olives and harvest them. And they would take them to the Garden of Gethsemane. And what they would do, it was an olive pre- pre- press. It was there where they pressed these olives that where they would get the oil out. And what we're going to see is in this garden that the pressures of redemption, the pressures of our sins, our sorrows, our failures of the human race are going to be pressing down upon Jesus. It really is the beginning of suffering for Christ as he begins this, what's called the Passion Week. As he begins this week starting today, which is Palm Sunday. And he's, he's going to, we're going to see this pressure, this emotional pressure, this this spiritual pressure, most of all, this physical pressure even manifesting in the life, in the body of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Gethsemane was really tucked in the western slope of the Mount of Olives. It was just east of the gate, the, the great, the beautiful gate of Jerusalem. It's tucked right in there. It's called the Garden of Gethsemane. I'm glad this is in our Bibles There's things in the Bible that I can't relate to about Christ because we know he's not just man, though he is fully man, he is God. He is the very son of God. No one could do what he did unless he was the true son of God. But I can't relate to the God part, nor can you because we're fallible, we're human beings. But this story, I don't know about you, but this story really resonates with me because what we get is the Lord pulls back the veil and we see the true humanity of Jesus Christ, our Lord, and we see him in his sufferings. Psalm 34 says, many are the afflictions of the righteous and you in this room may be suffering right now. I want to take just a moment and walk. I'm just going to be very quick. I want to walk through the week. I want to tell you, because sometimes it helps us to chronologically feel and see what happened. What happened on Sunday? What happened on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday? And of course, this next Sunday is when he arose. But here's what happened. On Palm Sunday, Jesus rides into Jerusalem. He comes 
over the Mount of Olives from Bethpage and Bethany. He rides. There's a great crowd that's gathered. They're, they're, the palm branches that are here like that, they're spreading their clothes out. They're spreading branches out. He enters Jerusalem and they're crying out as we've sung today. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. Hosanna means save now. Now, there's a great misunderstanding they have. There's, there's a lot of people today that are trying to tailor-make Jesus. They're trying to Americanize Jesus. He'll never be an American Jesus. He's just Jesus. And there was those in that day that were thinking he was going to be a political savior. He was going to be a savior that was a military, military savior. He was going to do militarily what David did, what some of the other Old Testament kings. But they missed the fact that he was going to be a suffering savior. And that first of all, but before he would come and reign in the millennial reign for that thousand years, of course, in our future, that he would come and, and begin a spiritual kingdom. I will build my church, my ecclesia, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And that he would fulfill all the streams of Old Testament prophecy. In fact, why do I believe? See, I, I could not be a Christian, and I would not be a Christian if it wasn't for Calvary. This story today, Gethsemane, Calvary, our suffering Savior, tells me what I need to know about God. And let me just throw this in as an aside. The statistical probability, and we've got a math major here, the statistical probability that any one person could fulfill all the Old Testament prophecies is astronomically impossible in the natural. There's so many zeros behind the probability. If, you, if anyone would truly study the Bible with an open mind, they would say Jesus Christ is the Son of God. It's a probable impossibility that one human being could fulfill all those prophecies. I'm telling you, Jesus fulfilled them to the T. He is the Son of God. And he rode in Jerusalem. But because, the, many of the, because a couple of the gospel authors meshed together that day, you think that Jesus turned over the money changer tables that day. That wasn't that day. Jesus walks into the temple on that Sunday, and he looked around is all he did. He looked around. He saw what was going on. Then on Monday, he comes back to the temple. He turns over the money changers. He says, you've taken my father's house, and you've, 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 my father's house, which is a house of prayer, you've turned into a den of thieves. On Tuesday, he comes back to the temple. He did not stay in Jerusalem. In fact, we have no record that Jesus ever stayed and spent the night in Jerusalem. He always would go out to Bethany to the house of Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. On Tuesday, he came back, and the religious leaders confronted him. By what authority do you do these things? And he taught there. On Wednesday, before crucifixion, Judas is conspiring on Wednesday to betray Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. He goes out that evening, Wednesday evening. He goes out across, once again, the Mount of Olives to the western side of the Mount of Olives, and, he, and, and there at the house of Mary, Martha, and Lazarus, uh, Mary anoints him with oil. The disciples are so upset because the, the, the cost of the oil that she anointed Jesus with would have cost one year's salary. What do you make in one year? That's what that little lady did. She loved Jesus so much, she poured that oil, which was a year's salary, upon him. The disciples were upset, especially Judas, because Judas was a thief. And he would take out, he would secretly take out for himself. And on that day, he betrayed, he went to betray him. On Thursday, 
Jesus gives the disciples instruction to prepare for the Passover. They celebrate the Passover together. At the end of Passover, where we are today in our text reading, Jesus, with his disciples, walks out from the upper room or the room they were in, and they cross, they go out of Jerusalem, they go down in the Kedron Valley, they come up the other side to the Mount of Olives, to this place called Gethsemane. And of course, you know that it was in that garden, probably around midnight, maybe, when the soldiers came to arrest him, when Judas came to give him the betrayer's kiss. And by the way, there's, there's one word in that text where he kissed him. The one I kiss, he's the one. There's one word in that text about kiss where you would just kiss someone. And then there's another word used there where you kiss them repeatedly. So he just didn't kiss Jesus. He kissed him over and over again on the cheek to say to the soldiers, this is the one. Terrible betrayal. They arrested him, took him to Caiaphas' house, the dungeon. We went in that dungeon. One of the most moving things that's ever happened in my life was four, three or four years ago when I was in that dungeon at Caiaphas' house and everyone had left. And our, interp- our, not our, inter- our guide, Malcolm Courtier, who was British, uh, he's Jewish, but he grew up in London, educated in London, but moved back to Israel and has spent, he's almost at retirement age, he's up in his 70s. He has an amazing British-Jewish mixture of voice, almost like a a Shakespearean actor. And we stayed down in that dungeon where I knew that my Lord had had been bound and whipped and abused there. And Malcolm, as me and someone else was there, I don't know who it was, I can't remember if it was you, Jason, or someone was standing there with me. And it was just me and that person, and then Malcolm, and he... And there, because so many people from around the world visit there, they have a pulpit like this with a huge binder. And Psalm, I think it's Psalm 88, from every language you can imagine, you know, Korean and Russian and and English and all these, he flipped to the English page. And he read Psalm 88 where they believe that is a prophetic crying out of the Lord, our Messiah. I began to weep and I began to sob as I, it just was so real to me. And that's where he was, at Caiaphas' house. And then the mock trial. And then the, the, the crucifixion. And then, of course, Golgotha. And Saturday in the grave. And then Sunday. Hmm. Come on, Sunday's coming. But we've got to talk about the week. We've got to talk about the week. The great, uh, the reformed, I'm not reformed, but... Augustine said, focus on the wounds. I would agree with that doctrine. Focus. If you want to know what Jesus is about, focus on the wounds. Focus on the crown of thorns that is there. Focus on the nails in his hands. Focus on the nails in his feet. Focus on the wounds if you want to know the heart of our God and the love and the mercy of our God and what he wants for us. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ died for us, 1 John says. So let's back up a second and walk through this. Let's go back to the supper and then let's cross to to Gethsemane. At the supper, the last supper, Jesus institutes what we call the Lord's Supper. On Friday, we're going to receive the Lord's Supper Friday evening. We can't have Good Friday without the blood, without the juice and the, and the, the bread. We're going to do that. These guys, 
are going to be hanging on crosses out here. No, they're not going to be any nails. It's just going to be symbolical. We serious. We ain't that serious. And then it was at that meal in that room, that intimate setting. Here's these 12 disciples with Jesus. And he predicts the betrayal of Judas. I won't read that for time's sake. If you, read all the, if you read all of the Gospels together, Jesus did not among them publicly cry out among them, this guy's going to deceive or betray me. He did, it, he did it quietly. John laid his head back on Jesus' breast when Jesus said, one of you will betray me. And he whispered, I think he whispered to John and said, the one that dips with me in the sop. And then quietly, I think, we believe that you know, you've seen, I think, it's, is it Da Vinci's uh, uh, painting? Is it Da Vinci's? And you see, they believe that Judas was very close to Jesus. In fact, some scholars believe that he held the place of honor when he took the sop and finally gave it to him. That was Jesus' last effort for friendship. That was Jesus' last effort to say, in a sense, don't do what you're going to do. But Jesus said of Judas, it would be better for that man to have never been born. What a statement. What a statement. What a statement. I think as they left the upper room, now they're going down in the Kedron Valley. And Peter says, Lord, I won't deny you. I won't betray you. I'll, I'll go to death for you. And Jesus had to turn on that as they're walking together out of Jerusalem probably and said to him, Peter, what you don't know is this. Before the cock crows, you'll deny me three times. No, 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 not me. Not me. Not me. The, all these guys may betray you, but not me. Not me. Do you know what? The truth is, all of us as human beings, we boast of a strength we don't have. We have all failed in more ways than we're really honest enough to admit. All have fallen short of the glory of God. So they go to this place, a place called Gethsemane. This was a place that Jesus often visited. So apparently our Savior liked gardens. He liked quiet places. I, my backyard is like a little Garden of Eden. It's a place of solace for me. It's a place I like to go. I planted some azaleas back there. I have a beautiful Japanese maple. Planted some flowers, lots of flowers. I have a gazebo back there. It's a quiet place. My neighborhood's really quiet. And it's a place that I like to go and get quiet. The other day we were there, early in the morning, my wife and I, and we put on our, on our iPad, we, we played uh, a cardinal call. Within two minutes, we had a male and female cardinal come. It's a quiet place. I think that's how Gethsemane was for Jesus. It was a very quiet garden. We know that rich people in that day would have gardens outside Jerusalem because because the city of Jerusalem was built together and up and it was compacted. There was no room for gardens. So apparently, maybe Joseph of Arimathea, maybe it was Nicodemus that was a secret disciple that said, Jesus, you can use my garden for those quiet moments. What we know in John 18 is this. It says, in verse 1, 18, 1, it says, When Jesus had spoken these words, he, him and his disciples went over the brook Kedron, and there was a garden which he and his disciples entered, and Judas, who betrayed him, notice this, who knew the place, for Jesus often met there with his disciples. You need to have a place where you can get quiet. There's a great contrast between the garden of 
of Gethsemane and the Garden of Eden. In the Garden of, Ge in the Garden of Eden, the first man said, My will be done. Not your will be done. And because of that self-will, he plunged the human race into what we've experienced today in our world. But it was in the Garden of Gethsemane, the second man, the last Adam, our Lord said, Not my will be done. And it was there that he conquered sin and enabled him to go to the cross and die for our sins so that we could know mercy, grace, and forgiveness. So what kind of place is Gethsemane? Let me quickly give you three. There's three things, there's three ways that Jesus suffered in Gethsemane. If you're writing notes, three ways in which Jesus suffered. Gethsemane was a place of suffering. And everyone in this room, now we don't like to, we don't like to show these kinds of things in our lives. Sometimes they're much too personal and they're much too deep. But everyone in this room has known suffering. One of these days, I told someone this the other day, I've never given my complete testimony. I've never given my complete testimony. One of these days, I'm going to share with you. I'll probably cut off the internet when I do it, but I'm going to share my testimony with you of when I was a boy growing up and the emptiness that I felt in my life. But you have your story Everyone in this room has known suffering. I'm glad this is in the Bible. Because I have a Jesus that knows me and can understand you. When you go through the most difficult, painful experiences in life, you read stories like this and you say, I can relate to a Savior like that because He came to relate to me. Jesus, we know three things. One, one of the ways He suffered was distress. The Bible says that He experienced great distress. He, he took Peter, James, and John with him. They accompanied him. And it says in verse 37 of 20, Matthew 26, 37, he said, I'm deeply distressed. Mark records it this way and says, I'm troubled and deeply distressed. Now get this, get this. Luke says, in agony, I'm reading from the scripture, Luke twenty-two forty-four. in agony, his sweat became like great drops of blood falling to the ground. Now we read this. And we look at it in rose-colored glasses. We think he's a superman and they didn't have these experiences. This is, listen, this is a medical condition. And it's called hemodrosis. Hemodrosis is when the, uh, an effusion of blood is mixed with someone's perspiration. It's a medical thing that was happening to Jesus. He was under such anxiety, and such stress, and such trouble that he began to experience hemodrosis. And what happens is it's caused from extreme, extreme anguish and physical pain. It says the, the subterraneous capillaries dilate and burst and mingle with the sweat. So basically, Christ is stating that I am in distress. I am on the threshold of death. That's what Jesus was experiencing. Why was he so troubled? He was troubled because his hour had come. 
He knew what he was about to face. He had told his disciples on three different occasions that he was going to suffer by the religious leaders, by the Romans, and that he would die, be buried, and raise again. They didn't get it. So what Jesus is experiencing here is physical pain, but more than that, spiritual, emotional pain because he knows that he's going to be separated from the Father. Isaiah prophesies in 53 and 6 and says, All we like have sheep have gone astray, but we have turned everyone to his own way. The Lord, listen, the Lord laid on him the iniquity of us all. In Matthew chapter 27, verse 46, he cries out on the cross, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Deep, deep distress. There's another thing he experienced, and this is the second one, and that is intense sorrow. He said in the text, I'm, I'm, I have extreme sorrow, I have deep sorrow. Have you known sorrow in your life? Certainly you have. Here's a question I want to ask you today. When is the first time in your life that you can remember true sorrow? Strangely enough, I can pinpoint it in my life. I can tell you the day. I can almost tell you the minute. It was December 27th, 1972, about 11 o'clock in the morning. You say, where were you, Pastor? I was riding in my grandfather's station wagon. We were following the hearse in front of us. Carrying my grandfather's body. It was about 11 o'clock in the morning. The service was over. I was just a boy. And I remember turning as we were riding in that slow funeral procession. I, I remember I'd ridden in that car before. It was an old Oldsmobile station wagon that had a glass across the top. And my brothers and I would fight to see who would get in the car first because we'd lay between the seats and look up and watch the trees and limbs go by. We thought that was just the greatest thing in the world. My grandfather. My grandfather was a master sergeant, tough, called him Big Mac, bigger than life, bigger than life. And then it just dawned on me, he's gone. And I turned my head away from the people that were sitting in the car because I started to cry and I didn't want anyone to see me cry. That's the very first time in my young life that I remember heart, deep heart, sorrow entered my soul. And you and I, all of us across this room, have had those same kind of experiences of sorrow. Your story's not my story, but the sorrow is just as real. He said in verse 38, I'm exceedingly sorrowful even to death. In fact, so, so intense and so dramatic. I, I believe that if you would have been uh, standing there behind one of those olive trees listening to Jesus, it would have scared you the vehement cries that were going up toward God. This wasn't some empty, powerless, emotionless prayer. This was a prayer from his soul to God, Father God. How do I know that? I know that because Hebrews chapter 5 verse 7 gives us commentary on this. Look at this. Who in the days of his flesh, when he had offered up prayers and supplication, notice, and with vehement cries and tears 
to him who was able to save him from death, he was heard because of his godly fear. Vehement cries, tears in this place called Gethsemane. And most of all, his sorrow was this. Listen, that our griefs, our sorrows, being placed and pressed down upon him. Are you sorrow today? Do you hurt today? Or you have anxiety today? Listen, there's someone who took that for you. You can know his peace. You can know his love. You can know his grace. You don't have to carry that stress. He said, cast all your care on me. I care for you. It says in Isaiah, surely, listen, surely he bore our griefs. He carried our sorrows. That sorrow there was our sorrow. He had no sorrow on his own. It's our sorrow. It's our sin. He knew deep distress, but he also knew sorrow. And then listen, the third thing he experienced there was, I call it, solemn loneliness. Solemn loneliness. Have you ever experienced loneliness? I have to say that I have. I've been in a crowd of people before, and I've said, I feel all alone. No one understands my heart. No one understands what I'm carrying. You felt the same way. It says here, Verse, 20, verse 37 through 38 of Matthew 26, it says that all the disciples went to this garden, but then he picked three of these men, Peter, James, and John. He picked them and he said, I want you three men to come with me. These were his closest of the disciples. These were what scholars call the inner circle of disciples. These were men in which he had chosen early on. He, he met them as they were fishing on the shores of Galilee. Up by Capernaum and Bethsaida. And he said to them, Peter, follow me. James, follow me. John, follow me. And here's these men. And they became his dear friends, his companions for three and a half years. They saw some of his greatest miracles. Not all the disciples saw all the miracles. When Jairus' daughter was raised from the dead, he only took who? Peter, James, and he took John. It was only, listen, it was only Peter, James, and John that saw the transfiguration. Matthew 17. And among that group, among that group was, among the three, was the one who, the scripture says, the disciple whom Jesus loved. So these are the men that are closest to him. In his earthly life. And all he asked them. He said listen guys. I'm in great need. I'm very troubled. I'm very distressed. I need you. I really need you. If I've ever needed you. I need you right now. All I'm asking you to do is. Would you pray with me? Would you stay up and pray with me? Help me. I'm struggling. Can you imagine Jesus saying I'm struggling? I can't imagine that. But God became a man, truly a man. He's not a figment of imagination. He's not some phantom. He truly became a man through the Virgin Mary. Supernaturally, of course. 
And the Bible says in verse 41, 40, 41, 43, and 45, that each time he came back, he says these words, he found them sleeping. When he needed comfort, he had none. There's a, there's a, there's a psalmist. The psalmist prophesies and writes about this. Psalm 69 verse 20 says, Reproach has broken my heart. I am full of heaviness. I looked for someone to take pity, but there was none. And for comforters, but I found none. In the garden of Gethsemane, Jesus is suffering deep distress. Jesus is, is experiencing deep sorrow. In deep loneliness, he's alone. It was a place of suffering. I want to close with this, this last part, and then we'll pray together. <clears throat> Strangely enough, as you read the story, and I've read it over and over this week, the garden was a place of sorrow, suffering, really, suffering. But it's strange, as you read it and really read it again and again, you realize that the garden wasn't just a place of suffering, but it was also a place of strength. Do you know that your place of sorrow can become a place of strength? Do you know that your place of distress can become a place of strength? Do you know your place of loneliness can become a place of strength. As I close, I want to show you how, how God took the place of sorrow and turned it into a place of strength. How's that going to happen for me? How's it going to happen? First of all, it starts with prayer. Prayer is very important to our lives. That's why the enemy, he'll fight prayer more than anything else. Listen, in our personal lives, he'll also fight prayer in a church. I mean, if you're serving hot dogs, everybody comes out. If you're saying, I want you to come and spend one hour in quiet prayer for the work of God. Mm, I've got to go shopping. Oh, I've got to do, oh, I've got to do that. Everything in the world. Why? There's something that it's, it's, prayer's a wonderful thing, but prayer is hard on our flesh. Come on. Prayer is hard on our flesh. But notice this, Jesus found strength, notice this, after agonizing prayer. This wasn't, this wasn't prayer over meal, bless the food. This was agonizing breakthrough prayer. The old timers used to, call, used to talk about praying through. You know, how many you know what that is? You pray until your answer comes. You pray and you persevere in prayer until the answer comes. So I've had people tell me that you know when you pray about something, if you pray more than once for it, it's an unbelief. Well, the problem with that, Jesus didn't understand that theology. How many know if your theology doesn't jive with Jesus, you got to get rid of your theology and we got to get back to this right here. It says in this scripture three times he prayed the very same thing. So it's all right for me to pray more than once. Just pray and keep praying. The Lord's going to turn your place of sorrow into strength. Notice this. Here's how intense it is. It's so, it's so agonizing. He falls down on his face, 26, 39. I mean, this is serious. Falling on his face. And then we hear his words. 
Father, if it's possible, let this cup pass. But he said, not my will, thine be done. Agonizing prayer. And then here's another thing. And that's this. If we're going to turn our place of sorrow into strength, there's got to be surrender to God. You have to surrender your will to God. You know, the hardest thing in the world is to surrender our will to God. In this whole process that we're in as a church, we have to surrender our will to God. We have to follow His timing. We have to wait upon Him, and He will move for His waiting people. But Jesus said these words again, Not my will, but yours be done. And that complete obedience to God enabled Him to go to the cross and break the power of sin. Not my will. But thine be done. And then lastly, how does God turn our place of sorrow into strength? Many times he can do it supernaturally. You know, we serve a supernatural God. And the Bible says, listen to this, Luke twenty two forty three. This will be on the screen. Luke twenty two forty three. Then an angel appeared to him from heaven, strengthening him. So in other words, think about this. Just track with me just another moment. Here's Jesus praying, Father, let this cup pass. Let this cup pass. Let this cup pass. Lord, I want to do your will. No matter what happens, I want to do your will. Not my will. Yours be done. But notice this. Have you ever noticed that the Lord will answer your prayer many times different than you want it to be answered? Let this cup pass. God didn't let the cup pass. The cup represents the cup of suffering. God didn't let the cup pass. But what did he do? He sent an angel to strengthen him to do the will of the Father. Amen. And so let's stand together, please. Our musicians are going to come. And I want to pray for you today. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord. As we stand, as we stand together, I appreciate... I appreciate our kids and my little grandson. He's getting a little fussy there. Bennett. Bennett, if you give me, let me finish my sermon, we'll make s'mores. <laughs> Thank you, parents, for being patient. We're almost there. We're almost there. Just be patient. This angel came and brought strength. You say, what does that mean? I don't know. I don't know. I don't know, but the angel did it. That's what Jesus needed at that moment. Paul prayed a prayer once. Let this thorn, take this thorn away. The Lord didn't answer the prayer like you. He didn't take the thorn away. But what did he say? My grace is sufficient for thee. After the angel gave him strength, and then here's what happened. Jesus, God, God the Father gave His Son, Jesus, the strength to go and face it. Because His whole resolve changes. He literally says in verse 46, Let us rise and be going. He's ready to face it. Do you know with God's help and strength, you can face what you need to face? No matter how hard, no matter how difficult, with God's mercy and power and grace, you can do it in the name of Jesus. You can face it. Greater is He that's in you than he that's in the world. He said, my betrayer is at hand. Mm. It's through prayer.
I want to pray for you today. We'll just take a moment here. And uh, I felt as I was getting ready this week that some of you are carrying some sorrows. You know, sorrow and pain can hold on a long time. Sometimes your sorrows can hold on and you can think they're gone and all of a sudden in some weak moment, all of a sudden things that you thought were gone will come back up again. Does that make sense? Things that you thought you overcame, hurts that you thought were gone, the enemy will try to stir that up again. And that sorrow and that suffering and that pain, sometimes it's, it's very deep in people's lives. But I want you to know that just as God sent an angel to strengthen. I'm not telling you you're going to send an angel. He could. Probably won't, but he could. But I know that, that his Holy Spirit, his word, people around you that care about you, your family of God, that God can give us strength in our sorrow. And I remember the psalmist says, going through the valley of Baca makes it a well. The valley of Baca is the valley of suffering. Makes it a well and turns it from strength to strength. I don't know where you're hurt today. I don't know what you're carrying today. I mean, it could be a thousand different things. It could be divorce. I remember when, when my mom and dad divorced, the excruciating pain that my mother went through, the fear that she went through, and the, the, the pain in her life. It may be someone has hurt you, and you just can't get over it. One of the hardest things to do is forgive those who've purposely wounded you. It's hard to get over those things. Oh, just forgive. Well, yeah, I understand. We need to forgive. But sometimes that pain is more than just a, a surface. I want you to think about this. Just stay with me one more moment. Judas was a true friend of Jesus. I mean, the psalmist says, my familiar friend has lifted up his heel against me. If you've ever been betrayed, you don't know sorrow and hurt and pain and even anger unless someone you truly trusted, you truly believed, loved you, hurt you and stabbed you and betrayed you. Unless you've known that, you don't know true pain. Maybe you know it in another way, but that's a toughie. Think about this. Jesus, total love total mercy, total selflessness. And yet here's this very selfish man named Judas that betrayed him for, hear this, 30 pieces of silver. It's insane to say, why would you do that? That's how greed blinds a person. That's how sin blinds a person. This, this pain and sorrow that Jesus was experiencing wasn't some kind of synthetic sorrow. It wasn't some kind of made-up sorrow. This was true sorrow. So sorrowful, so much distress that the capillaries mixing with the sweat glands open up and he literally looks like he's bleeding. Stretch of blood. You know, I thought about this as I read through the text. You know, Jesus went to pray. The disciples fell asleep. He came back and said, why could you not tarry? Wake up, pray with me. He goes back. He comes back again. They're sleeping. He leaves them there. He goes back again. And then he comes back the third time. I'm thinking, what did, what did he look like when, they woke, when he woke them up and he's got blood flowing down his face? 
I, I just believe they were completely shocked. But that's the distress that Jesus is under. Mm. Jesus. What do, we, what do we have here? What are we going to sing? Yeah, that's good. I would love to pray for you. We would love to minister to you, Brother Jason, Brother Reese, Brother Bob could help us. If you're going through a time, some of the, listen, some of these young people today, what they're going through is extraordinary. The stuff that they've been exposed to. I mean, there's, there's kids 10, 12 years old that have been exposed to things that somebody 40 years old hadn't been exposed to. Pain and sorrow. But listen, Jesus is our answer. He can help us. He can give you peace. He can give you peace. We don't, we don't need to know what you're going through. We really don't. We don't want to pry into your life. But we would love to just pray with you. If you say, Pastor, I just want somebody to pray with me. And if you want to share what you're going through, that's fine. But if you want us to pray for you in some area of struggle or something that you are sorrowing over or whatever it is, we want to help you. We're just simply going to be the MC. What do you mean? We're just going to, we're just going to bring you on to Jesus. We can't help you, but boy, we know someone who can. Come on, his name is Jesus. Come boldly to the throne of grace that we may find mercy and grace to help us in our time of need. We're going to begin to sing this. And my wife can come pray for the ladies or something. But if you just want to come and just maybe even stand, just worship a bit, and just let the Lord wash that sorrow away. Let him, take, let him make the, the, the pool at Mara. Let him, let him make, take the bitter waters. Come on, he can make them sweet. I'm going to pray and then we're going to sing. Father, I ask you to do something today among us. Save the lost. If someone's here today and they're lost without God, may they cry up to God. May they say, Jesus, forgive my wickedness and my sin. I trust in you to forgive me. I trust in you what you did. Save me. Oh, I would plead with you today. Dear sister, dear brother, I would plead with you, don't die lost. You will regret it eternally. This is your moment. Be saved. And Lord, I also pray that you would comfort your people. Those that have deep sorrow, those that have deep loss, those that are emotionally in distress today. We see what you went through and you want to help us today. In Jesus' name, amen. If you want prayer, you come as we sing.